Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're continuing our culinary tour of the USA with a special treat from New England, the classic Boston cream pie. It's not really a pie, it's a cake, but whatever you decide to call it, it's delicious. We'll also pull into Intimidation Station, boop, boop, to talk about separating eggs, and we'll review our St. Louis gooey butter cake. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Hey, my friend, how's it going this May morning? Oh, things are so good here. We have fresh rhubarb in the market, and I have been going to town on it. <laughs> uh, rhubarb is just one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things. Oh, it's, it's one of my favorites as well. And I think especially this year in the Pacific Northwest, spring has been really slow to start. It has just been so rainy this year. And Seeing the rhubarb in the market reminded me that, you know, summer is coming. Spring is coming. It will eventually get here. It is. And I used to grow rhubarb, and it eventually rotted because... The crown kind of stays in the um, in the ground all all year long, and and then if it gets too soggy, it will rot away. But um, it's just one of my very favorites. You can do so many things with it, and it's just so delicious. So I'm excited yeah. to hear what you've been what you've been baking up. Well, I think our listeners probably saw on the Facebook page, I did one called a rhubarb blueberry pie, and that was super fun. It was yes. a co- combination of rhubarb and blueberries. Rhubarb. It was good. Blueberry blueberry. It's fun to say. Yeah. Right. And it was good. I really liked it. Um, but blueberries are not my super most favorite fruit. So I, I loved the combination of the rhubarb in there. I felt it kind of cut the sweetness of it. But then um, this week, what I did was a strawberry rhubarb pie. And also great. My husband loves strawberries more than anything in the world. He thought he didn't like rhubarb, but ha ha, I showed him. (laughs) Um, And I used the recipe from Joy the Baker. So she has a really fun uh, food blog, and it's just joythebaker.com. And what I love about her recipe is the crust is not a traditional pie crust. It's that crumble crust where you use flour and butter and um, sugar and then oatmeal. And then she said either shredded coconut or pecans, but I put both in there. And I I think that was a winner. And so in terms of the family review, and you know my husband is not a huge sweet tooth, he took a couple of bites of this pie and he put his fork down and he said, this is the best pie I have ever had. This is the best pie you've ever made. Oh my gosh. Yes, I know. So I will put a link to that recipe in the show notes. And I think anyone, if you've got fresh rhubarb near you, I encourage you to try it. I also encourage you while it's fresh to go ahead and buy it and cut it up and freeze it because yes. it's a great, it freezes really, really well. And it's a great thing to haul out in you know February when there's not fresh fruit out in the market. Yeah, and um, out here, folks, too, Remlinger Farms has a really high-quality frozen rhubarb that comes around this time of year, too. So if you don't get to it yourself, I've had great success with their frozen product, too. 
Oh, good. Yeah. And you know, that reminds me, I actually, when I was starting to bake, for some reason, I wanted a peach pie. I was just in peach mode and I could not find peaches. I went to four different stores. Now I knew I wouldn't be able to find them fresh because it's not that season yet, but um, I couldn't find them in the freezer section at all. That's weird. I asked a couple of the merchants and they were like, yeah, you're right. We don't have any. Let me go look in the back. And then they came back and they said, no, we don't have any. Maybe, you know, check back on Friday or that kind of thing. I had posted online about it in one of my pie groups and one lady responded by saying that there had been a lot of crop damage for the peaches. So if you find some frozen peaches, you might want to stock up. (laughs) You know, that's really interesting because I was just at the market this week and I saw a sign in the produce section and it said, due to severe weather conditions in much of the country, some of our produce is delayed or laid. Okay. So maybe this, I mean, frozen peach would have been from last season though right yeah. ostensibly and, so and that's what they were saying it was the damage from the last season that they didn't um, produce as much and yeah. freeze as much to sell so yeah. oh. if you've got some frozen peaches in your freezer i say treat them like little golden nuggets that they are i say sell them <laughs> on the black market oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> <A> street corner <laughs> who will take the highest bid i've got these peaches <laughs> oh my gosh i love it Um, The other thing I'm really loving this week is here in Olympia, there's a great new podcast that got started, and it's my friend Jennifer Crane and her friend Kelly Sampson, and they are both food writers, and they started a weekly food podcast. It's called um, Olympia Appetizer, and one of the reasons I love it is they go behind the scenes and interview the people who create great food in our community. So when I was raving about Left Bank Pastry a couple of episodes ago, you know, they interviewed the head baker there, and I got to hear his story about how he worked for nine years as a teacher at the prison in Walla Walla, Washington, and at age 30 decided that was not for him. And he packed up his family and moved to France for two years and went to the Cordon Bleu and learned how to bake and then came back here to Olympia and opened his bakery. And so just knowing the story behind the baked goods that I love is making it so much fun. I love the name of the podcast, too. Olympia Appetizer. I know. It's a great name. And um, one of the things they just talked about that I'm so excited about, and I haven't yet been able to participate, but I can't wait. One of our local bookstores, it's called Browser's Bookstore, has a cookbook club. Mm. And what they do is they meet four times a year. So they do winter, spring, summer, fall. They pick a cookbook and... Um, everyone in the group bakes one item from the cookbook and they coordinate. So, you know, you don't have everyone bringing a salad or everyone bringing right, dessert. Right. They try to get a well-balanced meal and they have a potluck and they discuss the cookbook and they discuss the recipes. And, you know, before they leave for the evening, they pick, the, pick their cookbook for the next quarter. And so I just thought this cookbook club idea was so much fun. Have you ever participated in one of those or heard about that before? So my friend Lydia has a cookbook club. Hers is just slightly different. They choose a cookbook and they cook everything, th- everything in it. So they, they, uh, I think they every might, single recipe. Yeah, they just move Ooh. their way through it. And wow. as, as I understand, yeah. And so I think, I think they meet more than quarterly, though. Maybe, oh, maybe to. more like once every. I don't think it's a month, but it might be like every six weeks, something like that. Okay. Or every other month. And um, yeah, she loves it. And they have done some great – they do a lot of um, more – 
just things you're not eating on an everyday basis. So she went through recently like a Thai cookbook and they've done um, the Otolenghi's Jerusalem cookbook. And uh, she just has great stories about it. And then it's just a really fun, fun thing for her and her friends to do for people who love food. And, um, you know, if there's a fail, then you kind of talk about that and laugh about that, too. But nobody's going hungry at their meals for sure. So do they pick the same recipe and everybody bakes that or does everyone pick their own recipe from the cookbook? Yes, to make a okay. meal. Yeah, they okay. they like do a menu plan from the cookbook. Yes, okay. and cook okay. their way through it that way. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, that makes sense then how they can get through a whole cookbook. I for some reason I was thinking they were all cooking the same thing like you and I cooked the same recipe and I was like, my gosh, it would take them like 5 years to get through. <laughs> some yeah, and, I, and so I think they're kind of, you know, they've narrowed it in that regard to to a more comprehensive cookbook that would have, you know, like a appetizer and a main dish and a side dish and so, you know, if they they don't do things that are solely like, I don't know popsicles or you know what i'm saying like like it's okay. a more comprehensive kind of a cookbook right. so, so you can yeah. have a meal well yeah, I exactly just, i just think this is such a fun idea i can't wait to try out the cookbook club here in my town and listeners if you guys are any cookbook clubs we would love to hear about them and how your cookbook club works and you know any tips for people who want to start one what you think are, is a good idea what works and maybe things you've tried that doesn't work as well is always very helpful too yeah, I'd be interested to know what people think is kind of like the sweet spot of how many people, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing like a potluck mm-hmm. meal, if if it gets too unwieldy, if you have too many people, or if, you know, if you only have three friends, if that's just simply not enough, or yeah, I would be really interested to know. So Yeah, because there's a, I, it would be tempting to get, in a way, almost as many people as possible, but then you think, but then you're trying to coordinate dates. <laughs> you know, and you think, oh, right, my just God. the scheduling of it gets yeah. out of hand at yeah. some point. Yeah. yeah. So there's probably a sweet spot there. So, yeah, that's a great question. So maybe someone will give us a, a good idea on that. Well, those are two great updates from uh, Oli. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, we're going to hop over to the East Coast now. Or sorry, the Midwest. I'm getting ahead of myself <laughs> and do a review of our St. Louis gooey butter cake. This was a recipe from Made by Molly that was then reprinted in the New York Times. Uh, Made by Molly is a Brooklyn uh, Midwestern style restaurant uh, for all those folks missing their home. And this this recipe really struck me at the end um, when I was was diving into it. It's like a cross between a vanilla cake batter and a sugar cookie dough is kind of what um, the topping made mm. me think of. Mm-hmm. Whereas the bottom is, um, they call it the cake, but it's it's more like a, a yeast dough. In fact, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, I had not made one of these. I have eaten them several times, so I had not made one. Uh, you're making a sweet yeast dough to begin with. That's, that's very easy to do, letting it rise um, in the dish. And... That worked great for me. It rose not a ton, not like a, a bread necessarily, but it did it did gain some height. And then you're making like a cake batter for the for the top. Um, I had great success with this. This was a huge hit in my family, especially my daughter and my husband loved this. Um, it's very very yellow and blonde, and you're going to pull it out when it's still pretty gooey in the middle, and that's what you want. Um, And then you sprinkle it with some confectioner's sugar. The one thing I would say, you know me, I love my cold cake, Andrea. Yeah. This was better not cold. Oh, okay. (laughs) Good to know. So you don't want it to be like, you don't want it to be like burning hot, but um, just like I had taken it out of the oven in the afternoon, and then we had it for for dessert that evening, and uh, it was it was great at right at right at room temperature. Um, so, how did you get on with this dessert and and having it for the first time too? Well, um, 
the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, you know know that expression, the third time's a charm. Um, Oh, no. I had two utter fails before (gasps) I finally figured this cake out. So um, I think I I really now understand and sympathize with you when we made that Queen Amon and you made the comment about I've never had one of these. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I heard you say that and I kind of thought, well, that's interesting. But, you know, here's the recipe and it's all laid out. Yeah. It wasn't until I went to make this and I've never had one that I realized how confusing it is when you're trying to make something that you've never had and never seen. Um the way you just described it as a cake batter on top of a yeast dough, maybe if it had said that right at the top, then I would have understood more. But, no, you yeah. know, it, instead of calling it a cake batter, it kept calling it the topping. Yes. And so I was very confused about the the consistency. But that doesn't even matter because I didn't even get to the topping till the third try. So um, <laughs> let me tell you my first two problems. And I won't dwell on them too much because I don't think most of our listeners are going to run into this because they're a, a, a lot more careful than I am. Um, step one is making that yeast dough that you mentioned, Stefan. And it mentions, and I make yeast dough all the time, right? Not not a big deal. But usually I'm just mixing yeast with water. And so I, I regulate the temperature of my water. I actually have a hot water dispenser in my refrigerator that lets me select the actual temperature. And so I'll choose 110 because I know that's a good temperature for yeast. It's not too hot, so it won't kill the yeast. Okay. Well, in this particular recipe, you mix um, the warm water with the yeast, but also with milk. And so I was just about to mix it when I noticed that it said the milk should be at room temperature. Yeah. And my milk, of course, is not at room temperature. It's come from my my fridge. So I immediately thought, well, my milk is cold. And so I'll use the hot water from my Instahot tap. Okay. um, You know, which is boiling water, like one, I don't know, 160 or whatever. And, And those two together will create warm. But I'm pretty sure what happened is that I killed my yeast. No. Because I um, I added it, I whisked it gently. I, I thought I did see some foam, but maybe that was just from my my whisking was a little too vigorous. <laughs> and um, you know, and then I went through all the work of doing it in the electric mixer and adding in the the butter, the sugar, the salt, the flour, and then you're supposed to let it rise for. Um, two and a half to three hours. And it says allow to rise until doubled. And this is one of those things that, again, I started late at night. So I started at about 5 p.m. By 8 p.m., not only had it not doubled, I mean, it literally hadn't moved. It was just this (laughs) flat layer. And I thought, this just does not look right. So I thought, no problem. I'm just going to, you know, leave it out all night. And in the morning, I'll, I'll, you know, surely it'll risen by then. And I woke up the next morning and it still had not risen. So I thought, okay, you know, failure on that one. I know what I did wrong. Don't use boiling hot water on your yeast, stupid Andrea. And so I started over again. Okay. And this time I used my warm water and I went through the instructions. And I, as I, I got to the part again where, you know, you want to cover it with your yeast dough with a plastic wrap and um, allow it to rise until double, two and a half to three hours. And I noticed how it said put it in a warm place. And I remembered that I do keep my house fairly cold. My house typically runs about 60 degrees. That's kind of the way we like it. Okay. And my counters are, you know, granite. And so they're cold, you know. And I had read once that the perfect place to rise dough is in your oven with the oven light on okay. and that, that that makes a perfect temperature. So I pop that dough with the plastic wrap on top of it in the container in, in my 9 by 13 pan into the oven and um, thought, okay, I'll check on it three hours later. Can you guess maybe what happened? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> 
Did you not forget oh, to turn the oh no. oven light on? <laughs> no, I turned the oven light on. But um, oh, about two hours after that, I decided that I needed to cook something in the oven. So I preheated my oven to 425 oh, degrees. So you mean um, gas mark four. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at you! Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, listeners, if you missed episode twenty-five, go back and listen. Stefan is getting ready for a big move to London, so she might start talking in gas mark That's very, <laughs> instead of Fahrenheit. It's very exciting. Um, so oh, yeah, I, I pulled out this pan, which obviously the plastic wrap had completely oh, melted. No. So I, I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? This might be the first time I come on preheated and say, I'm just sorry I was not able to make this week's recipe. And oh, then no. and then I rallied. I thought, no, I, I can do this. <laughs> and so I, I made it a third time. I was very careful. I set timers. I put reminders up. I had Post-it sticky notes. And um, everything worked beautifully. Um, I was able to make the topping, which, like you said, is like a cake batter. I wish I had known that when I was making it because I was a little uncertain about what consistency it should be. And I was really uncertain about um, step five, this particular instruction. Bake for 35 to 45 minutes. The cake will rise and fall in waves and have a golden brown top, but will still be liquid in center when done. The cake will rise and fall in waves. I just could not wrap my head around. I think I, it just means – so what I took that to mean um, is the – it's not flat. It's not just like your yes. beak. It, it, there is – it does – I wouldn't say it was dramatic, but it was – um, definitely not smooth. Yes. And once it came out of the oven and I looked at it, I go, oh, this is what they meant. But having never baked it and having never seen it, I thought it meant that the cake was almost going to be like alive. Like it was going to be, in, <laughs> it was going to be in the oven kind of undulating up and down. So I kept looking at it through was the it little window. Was in the oven? I didn't think to check while it was baking. No, it, it, it there's wasn't. no, I mean, it, if it's happening, it's happening by such small degrees that the naked eye cannot detect <laughs> it. We probably need one of those videos like you see on Facebook all the time where they speed things up. Or you, you know? need like that stop motion camera or yeah. like when they show a, a plant like sprouting or something. Yeah. So that's it. Time so, lapse. Yeah. Anyway, I was successful on my third attempt and um, I ate the cake. Um, I thought it was good. It definitely was warm and I think I would definitely want to eat it warm. I think I made might have baked it a little too long because mine was not still liquid in the center. Okay. And that just is important because as it then cools down, you get that really, it's like a fudgy blondie. You yeah. want that kind of consistency at the end of the day. Yeah. It's yeah. super rich. Obviously, you have basically a Danish topped with cake. And so <laughs> it's... <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. I There isn't. But I had like three pieces and then I was like, oh, that may have been a mistake. <laughs> Well, I did ask my husband to take a bite of this just to get another opinion, and he took a bite, and he goes, oh, this would be really good with coffee. This reminds me of coffee cake. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because I mentioned last week that um, Wikipedia had an article about this cake, and one of the things that they mentioned is, you know, that it's a lot like a coffee cake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I um, I think, you know, it's hard for me because my experience is tempered by having to do it three times <laughs> and only getting one cake out of it. So, yeah, no, that's a bummer. And did you did your pan that the the saran melted on was that ruined? So I did it in a disposable pan because I planned on um, giving it away. 
Okay, so, well, that yeah. was a very smart move in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. Then, so yeah. Okay. luckily, the the pan was not a problem. The um, I had my baking stone, my pizza stone in the oven because I just keep that in the oven all the time. I find that things bake better with it just on the floor of my oven. It uh, had needed some work because it got melted plastic and, you know, cake goo all over it. But um, I did enjoy it. You know what it really kind of reminded me of at the end of the day? And I thought, well, this feels like a, a, kind of like a lot of work for what it reminded me of was a, a cake mix. Like, have you ever made a dump cake? Yes. Yes. It kind of reminded me of a dump cake, which, I mean, the, the joy of a dump cake is how easy it is. And so there's so many variations on a St. Louis butter cake. This is a little fancier one because okay. you're making your own yeast dough. But many people use a purchased Danish or sweet bread in the bottom. Okay. And then and they so just layer on their of... own topping. And if you look on Pinterest, oh. it's just crazy. And many people do just use a cake mix. So okay. it's one of those things. Everyone's kind of got their their own variation. And listeners, if you make a butter cake and there's some easier steps involved or, or you have other variations, we'd love to see that on our Facebook page also. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting. So thanks for introducing that to us. I, well, I really – I did have fun with it despite the fact that I, I was challenged. I'm I, very glad and very impressed that you stuck with it. And you're so sly because at some point during this whole process, you just texted me and it was just like, have you made the butter cake yet? And it was yeah. <laughs> very interesting. And I'm like, yeah, and I, you know, did you have a question? And you're, you, there was like a, kind of a pause and then you're like, no, no question. Yeah. <laughs> No, that I mean, how could I phrase the question? The question is: Is this something that should only be uh, attempted by cordon bleu trained chefs? Stephen, because I, <laughs> I apparently cannot make this. Stefan, did yours come alive in the oven? <laughs> Was it waving up and down, undulating in the oven? Undulating. Oh my gosh! Well, um, listeners, if you haven't had a chance and would like to bake along with that St. Louis gooey butter cake, it is in the show notes, a link to that, and then also up on our Pinterest page. So have some fun, whether it's new to you or or you've been baking it for a while. All right, now on to the East Coast, Andrea, with a dessert that I'm <laughs> thinking you have had, which is the Massachusetts state dessert, official state dessert, and it is the Boston cream pie. We are going to cook a recipe from a blog, blogger Rebecca at her blog is Sugar and Soul, and this is a triple layer Boston cream pie. Ooh, the fancy. Boston Now why why why? good people of Massachusetts, do you call this a pie when it is clearly a cake? It is a vanilla cake with with a delicious vanilla custard or pastry cream in between the layers and topped with, um, it's not a frosting, but it's what I'd call maybe like a drizzle of a chocolate sauce or a light ganache on the top. And why, why, Andrea, do they call it, insist on calling it a pie? Well, it's very simple, actually. Back in the day before there were specialized uh vessels for cooking a pie and a cake, they were just all made in the same tin. And oh. so a pie and a cake were kind of interchangeable. And it was just made in the same uh, tin that they were making their pies in. So they oh. called it a Boston cream pie. It was oh, originated at the Omni Parker House, which we've talked about before for the par the home of the Parker House role. Right. And your honeymoon. And right? my honeymoon. Yeah. Now, I unfortunately did not eat Boston cream pie at the Omni House when we were there. Ugh. But um, can you just like stop for a minute and think about the culinary contributions that the Parker House has made to America? <laughs> 
and to carb lovers everywhere. Um, thank you, Omni House Hotel. Thank you. Now, here, when you're doing research on a Boston cream pie, here's the one cl- link you don't want to click on. <laughs> How many carbs are in a Dunkin' Donuts Boston cream pie donut? Just don't oh, go there, no. people. Just mm-hmm. don't take a look. Do not take a look. No, no. Yeah, I was um, super excited when I saw this. I have such a fond memory of Boston cream pie because when I was growing up, my best friend who lived across the street, Barbie, she loved Boston cream pie. And so every year for her birthday, she would request that and her mom would make it and you know, they would invite me over. And of course, we'd put the candles on it and sing to her and I'd get a slice. And every single year, I would forget that it was cake. And so I would, I would say, what are you having for your birthday cake? And she would say Boston cream pie. And in my head, I would kind of think, oh, you know, she's going to get a cake. (laughs) And then I would go to her house and I would see it and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is that pie that looks like (laughs) a cake. Um, But I have never tried to make it myself. So I'm so excited to try this. And I might even hit Barbie up. Um, We're Facebook friends. I might let her know that I am going to try it. Oh, that's fantastic. I wonder if she still still loves a Boston cream pie. Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder if childhood favorites stick with you or if you get to a point where you're like, oh, I had that every year for my birthday when I was a kid. I'm done with it. So I just had a few comments on the recipe before we start baking it, listeners. Um, First, I'm really excited. The pastry cream calls for a vanilla bean, which is going to have some just really strong and delicious vanilla bean flavor. Um, I'm worth the splurge there, definitely. The cake calls for rum extract. Andrea, I don't have rum extract. I plan to use a teaspoon of straight rum. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> it's such a little amount. Yeah. And I have some yeah. of that good blackstrap molasses rum left over from our right. fruit cake. So going to mm-hmm. use that. And then in the instructions, just one thing that popped out to me. Um, when you're when you're beating your batter and you have both of your wet ingredients and your dry ingredients together, she says that you want to beat the cake batter on high for three minutes. This really bothers me. I looked through probably about two dozen cake recipes. I have always um, heard and and practiced that once you have your wet and dry combined, you want to be pretty ginger. You don't want to get that gluten tough. And so I could not find another recipe that called for the batter to be beat for three minutes after everything was incorporated. So I'm going to skip that. I agree with you. I've heard the same thing that with cake, you always want medium speed and two minutes max. I mean, usually you're just kind of folding together or they'll say, you know, um, mix until barely blended. Right. And so when you alternate the dry and the wet, and I always start with the f- start and end with the flour. Yeah. That's another th- practice that I do. Um, once that last flour is in, you are just you know, just mm-hmm. the bare minimum, certainly not for high for three minutes. So, yeah. okay. Well, and I couldn't find any, tips. I thought maybe this is just something special about this kind of a sponge yeah. cake. I couldn't find another cake recipe that called for that. So I'm confident and comfortable um, skipping that. Okay. I yeah. feel good about that. I'm going to follow suit. So thanks for that heads up. Okay. And what else? Yeah, I'm excited to try this Boston cream pie. I love it. Don't make it enough. It's kind of one of those desserts every time I eat or make, I think, oh, I love this one so much. So um, I'm looking forward to this. It's a it's a beautiful triple layer Boston cream pie from Sugar and Soul. And Rebecca is the blogger at that website. So that'll be um, up in our show notes. This is episode 26. Can you believe it? And uh, there'll be a link to that. So let us know. Let us know how it goes for you. Absolutely. Well, we are going to pull on into Intimidation Station. This is... (laughs) 
one of our favorite places to visit. And Stefan and I, along with um, you listeners, there's oftentimes a cooking technique or instruction that can intimidate us. And this week, we thought we'd deal with one that might sound easy to some people, but can be a little bit intimidating to others, and that is separating eggs. Yes. When you need to separate the yolk from the white, how do you do it, Stefan? Well, and this is um, very, very apropos because you need to do that in your Boston cream pie. When you're making your pastry cream, you are just using the egg yolk. So in the past, I have had an actual egg separator, which is a little, mine was, oh. mine was plastic, and you crack the egg into it, and it, it uh, has... Um, uh, like a trough around the side and the the whites oh. go through that and it holds on to the yolk. That worked fine, but then it broke or it melted or there was some <laughs> issue with it and it, it had to be thrown away and I just have never replaced it. So mm-hmm. um, usually I go back and forth in the shell and that works pretty well for me. Um, occasionally I'll dump it into my hand and let the yolk fall through my fingers. The thing that I think people get nervous about is they think, you know, um, if there's going to be any any mixing of the two, if I get any yolk in the white or if I get any white in the yolk, you know, forget it, it's done. And that has some basis in fact because if you're making like a meringue or something right. where you're just using the white, then that's true. If you get yolk in there too much or any really, um, you won't have the results you want. But right. when you're when you're using something that's calling for the yolk, I'm a little less concerned if there's some white still sticking to that. Me too. Um, what do you I- tend to do? I do the same thing you do. I crack the egg on whatever surface is nearby, either the edge of my bowl or the edge of the counter, and then I use the shells to go back and forth and separate. Um, I did see, you know, people using their hands, and I tried that once, and I thought, ugh, what? Like, what? I don't see the advantage of that. Like, your hand gets all gross. What? Like, why is that considered a good way to do it? Could you save a bowl? Yeah, let me think. I think just because the white. You, you have the yolk, you have it, and then the, the white just kind of naturally just comes through. Your fingers are like a kind of a natural sieve, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, okay. but you're right. You get messy. Yeah. 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 yeah that doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. Uh. I, and, yeah. And it's it's kind of like you'll get those eggs, and I don't know exactly why this is, if it's a freshness thing or if it's just the egg or, um, you know, that it's just like not separating, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so if I have to dump it in my hand, I will. But yeah, the, the yolk back and forth works really consistently for me. Um, Now, Andrea, what do you do in a recipe when you have, you're only using part of the egg? Do you have um, things you like to make with with one part of the egg or the other? I do. So um, if I'm using a recipe that needs a lot of whites and I have yolks left over, one of my favorite things to do with that is make ice cream. So stay tuned because (laughs) uh, Stefan and I do have a preheated month of ice cream coming up and- uh, You'll see a lot of our recipes call for yolks. So that's a fun thing to do. The other thing that I haven't done yet, but I am really wanting to do is make lemon curd. Um, I am lucky enough to have in-laws that live in Arizona and they have a beautiful lemon tree in their backyard. And um, my daughter just came home from a visit with them and her suitcase was packed full of fresh lemons. Oh, And so I'm going to try and make some lemon curd. So I'm really excited about that. That's really delicious. It's also very British. I've oh. made lemon curd a lot. I've also made a cranberry curd. Um, oh. It's so, it's so, so good. Um, oh. Yeah, and a great way to use up your yolks. Yeah. I'm so jealous of your in-law's lemon tree. I tried to have a lemon tree here in Washington, and it just <laughs> was the saddest little lemon tree. It just, it just never got hot <laughs> enough. 
my brother's got a lemon tree down in Southern California. Yeah, if you've got one, oh my gosh, I, I know. I am so jealous. Yeah. What about you? What do you do with your leftover yolks? Well, not so much my yolks. So I'm actually that's that's a great um, a great reminder about the curd. When I have leftover whites, um, one thing that's fun to do is just a white cake. Um, you know, as opposed to a yellow cake, which uses the whole egg, a white cake just calls for for whites. Um, so I'm in it. The timing on this um, one is going to work out for me because I have a white cake to w- make with my um, son's checkerboard cake, which I talked about um, last episode. So All right. I can use those up. Um, There's a lot of uh, mousse recipes that call for a whipped whipped egg white as well. I haven't ever done that or not recently, but um, I always think, oh, I should make – Martha has a lemon mousse that always looks really intriguing to Mm. me. So, Um, And then if I'm just kind of lazy, I'll just make an egg white omelet. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I use my whites a lot in um, fried rice in breakfast. So whenever I – Yep. Yeah, whenever I make my, you know, rice for a dinner, I often make extra so then I can refrigerate the extra rice and the next morning I'll make fried rice, which I'll usually use a whole egg or two in, but it's fun to dump in some extra whites there. But when it comes to baking, um, one thing I haven't tried yet, but I'm really wanting to try is a small French almond cake. It's called a finance, I think. I apologize to those of you who speak French. Financier? Uh, finance looks like that's what it looks so, like. Right? It looked to me like financer, financer, <laughs> financier. Yeah. It, uh, so, and interestingly enough, I think it's called that because they're baked in bars, and those bars like looked like gold bars, and that's oh. the French word for gold bars. So I okay. thought that was okay. interesting because it does kind of look like financier. And um, that recipe is flour, butter, sugar, almonds, and then tons of egg whites. So I'm, I'm super excited. And the best thing I learned, which I did not know, is that egg whites freeze incredibly well. So I was going to say that too. Yes, you can put them in the freezer. And yeah, I think so. I'm not sure how they how they whip once they've been defrosted. Have you tried that? No, that's a good point. Um, maybe you wouldn't want to do it for something where the egg white consistency of that whip was needed, but yeah. maybe just um, you know where it was just more maybe like in coconut macaroons or something too. I think you know that's a recipe where you use a lot of whites, but you don't need the big whip. Yeah, absolutely. You're not doing it for the consistency or the texture as much as just the the binding and the flavor. Right. Well, listeners, if you have other uh, ways that you use up your yolks or your whites when you uh, have a recipe that calls for one or the other, but not both, uh, we'd love to hear about that. Or if you have any cool tricks on how to separate your eggs. Uh, I didn't even know there was an egg separator. So if anyone's got a cool gadget or, or some special trick they use to separate your eggs, uh, let us know about it. Absolutely. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we continue our month of red, white, and blue goodies with a trip to the Southwest for New Mexico's official state cookie, the Bizchochito. Did you even know states had official cookies? Some do, and many have an official state dessert, too. We'll take a virtual tour to discover some of the weird and wonderful goodies favored by folks all across our country. So pack your map and your appetite. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest. Many of you have been so kind to write or text or in person let Andrea and I know how much you're enjoying the show, and it means the world to us. Some of you have asked how to do a review on iTunes, and there's two different ways we wanted to just quickly let you know. 
you can just simply click the star review. Of course, we'd love a five-star review. If you have a little extra time and are able to write a brief sentence or two, that helps us all the more. There's a funny thing that goes on that people love to listen to what other people are listening to. And the more comments and reviews that we have on iTunes, the more we reach, the broader our audience. So thank you for all of the kind words on Facebook and everywhere else you guys are reaching us. It means just the world to me. It's it's wonderful to, to us, not just to me, to us. Yeah, definitely. So we will see you next time. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.